Father, I'm most grateful for these people in this place. Father, I thank you that none of us are here by accident. I thank you that you called your people together to um, love on each other, to love you and be loved back by you. I'm most grateful. I pray whatever words need to be said are the ones that come from my mouth. It's not about me, it's about you. And I just pray for your blessings and your Holy Spirit um, to show up and do what you do. I'm eternally grateful for you. And I love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Robert started a series uh, last week called What Not to Wear. And he did an outstanding job as usual um, about sexual immorality. Um, I don't touch that. So uh, he has graciously allowed me to talk about anger since I'm somewhat of an expert. Um, He's just too nice. Uh, What Robert didn't know when he asked me, though, was, I mean, it's a little scary because uh, my daddy's mother, so my grandmother on my daddy's side, her maiden name was McCoy, as in Hatfields and. So um, I am fighting against DNA all the time. Uh, It's a genetic predisposition to revenge. So um, I can mostly tell you what not to do, so I guess that kind of goes along with what not to wear. Um, You're going to get angry. I'm going to get angry. We all get angry. Um, You know, there are all kinds of degrees of anger. You can be miffed. You know, you can be perturbed. You know, you can be enraged or livid or ticked off or peeved or kind of huffy or homicidal. I mean, you've got all kinds of degrees of anger. Um, And it can be funny, especially when the machine attacks first. Uh, But a lot of anger isn't funny. Um, It's not funny when you're the dude being attacked by the machine. Um, It's also not funny when the anger is directed at you. Uh, A lot of us have a problem with anger. And we've got children being bullied for no reason other than they're just different. And then we've got children coming in schools and shooting other children. You know, we've got parents that use children as as weapons against somebody else. Um, We've got prejudice. We've got so many things. We've got a lot of anger. Um, Kind of through this year, Robert's preaching through Colossians. So I want us to look at Colossians um, chapter 3, verses 5 through 8 for just a second. Look what it says. So put all evil things out of your life, sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil, and greed. This is really serving a false god. These things make God angry. In your past, evil life, you also did these things. But now also put these things out of your life, anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others, and using evil words when you talk. You know, the first thing um, I think I need to remind me and you, um, anger's not a sin. Anger's just an emotion. Um, It can't be a sin. I mean, that scripture said, God gets angry. I mean, I remember a story about Jesus flipping over some tables. Um, So anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's a God-given emotion for a God-given purpose. And the purpose of anger is to give energy to do something. I mean, there are things that should make us angry. There are children right now being abused. You know, there are people in the world that are truly hungry. Though there's enough food for us all. There's prejudice. 
Those things need to make me angry. But angry is not where I need to stop. Angry doesn't do... Angry is to spur me to action. I need to do something about those things. I need to work on changing those things. Um, So it's not simple to get angry. I mean, it's more like... um, like a smoke alarm. Now, I think the smoke alarm at my house is particularly sensitive, especially when I'm cooking. I don't understand why it goes off a lot when I cook, but it does. Um, so when that alarm goes off, you know, I've got to do some things. Uh, first thing I've got to do is I've got to acknowledge that it's going off. I can't just pretend like it's not. It's just piercing. It doesn't even let me do that. So I've got to acknowledge that it's off. Then I've got to find the source. I mean, are the rolls burning or is the living room on fire? Because I'm going to react two different ways for those things. So once I identify the problem, then I've got to deal with it appropriately, which is usually Melinda under the thing with like a magazine fanning it, telling it to stop. You know, we're not in immediate danger. But I've got to appropriately deal with that anger because it's signaling something. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Look what it says. It says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. God gives emotions for good. The key is not to let it slide into something that's not good. You know, desire is a God-given emotion. But when that desire slides over into coveting, then I've got a problem. Same thing with anger. Anger is a God-given emotion. It's supposed to spur me to do something. It usually warns me of a perceived threat. But I've got to be real careful with anger that it doesn't slide over into sin. And look what that scripture said about sliding over. I can't harbor it, and I can't justify it. Because if I justify it, then I've got grounds for retaliation. So... It's not the anger that's the problem sometimes. It's kind of what I do with the anger that's the problem. One of my favorite quotes is a quote by Aristotle. And let me show you what it says. Maybe it just speaks to me. It says this. Anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that's not within everybody's power. And it's not easy. says the same thing to me that that verse says. I've got to be careful. You know, the right person. Too many times in my life, I got angry in one place, like Walmart, um, the line at the bank, <laughs> work, and then came home and yelled at my kids. Sorry. You know, because that's easy. Too many times we take it out on innocent people that are safe. We don't really get angry at whom we need to get angry at. And, you know, I've got to direct the anger where the anger needs to go. And then it says to the right degree. Now, maybe this is only me. A lot of times I just don't understand why I get so angry so fast. I mean, how how does that happen? Let me give you an example of something I think is kind of out of, slightly out of degree. When Kelly, my daughter, was about four, she went outside to play and she came back inside. And when she walked in, I said, Kelly, what's in your hair? And she goes, sand. 
And I said, why is there sand in your hair? And she said, well, Christopher and I were throwing sand. And then I had like an out-of-body experience. I don't know exactly what happened, but I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? You and Christopher were were throwing sand. You know you're not supposed to throw sand. And Kelly goes, well, Christopher did. And I did that thing I swore as a child that I would never do that your mother says. I looked at her and said, oh, so if Christopher threw sand, that means you can throw sand. So if Christopher jumps off a bridge, does that mean you're going to jump too? Oh, and later, if Christopher takes drugs, are you going to be taking drugs? And then if you sell drugs, you go to prison. She's four. And I have her in the state penitentiary. Just a slight problem. I mean, what, what in the world was up with that? That degree didn't match. I need to examine exactly why I got that mad that fast. In the right place. Let me tell you from personal experience, if you're a minister's wife, the balcony of Gulf Shore Baptist Assembly is not the right place to be yelling at your husband. Um, so, you know, that's a possibility. Um, so I've got to make sure it's an appropriate manner, you know, for the right purpose. Taking them out, though fun it sounds like to me, is not a God-given right purpose. Now, children sometimes get it right when adults get it wrong. All right, I spend way more time than a normal person should spend on Pinterest. It's for spiritual reasons. Um, So, uh, look at this note I found on Pinterest. It just makes me laugh really hard. Here's what it says, if you can't see it. It's a note from a kid that says, I'm angry at you, and I'm not talking to you today and tomorrow. P.S. All day. P.S.S. I still love you. I know. Why can't we do that? I mean, that is very direct. I'm mad at you. And I'm going to be mad for about seven weeks. And then the next day I'll be fine. But in the meantime, I'm still going to love you. You can love somebody and be mad at them at the same time. But you have to be honest about it. And it has to be done in the right way. For it to serve its God-given purpose. When I get angry, I try to do the same thing with God's help that the smoke alarm does. I have to feel it. I have to own it. I'm mad. Am I miffed or am I homicidal? You know, I mean, what are we talking about here? I've got to go find the root of it. What's the cause? Because many times, the cause isn't what you see at first. Like, for instance, with Kelly. You see, the reason I got so mad so fast was deep down in my heart. I thought, you know, what if I'm not a good enough mother? What if I'm not a good enough mother? And I don't teach her what she needs to know. And she makes a really bad choice. And then she gets hurt. See, the reason I got so mad so fast is I was scared. It was fear. And when you have fear, you have fight or flight. And that was a fight. So I've got to find the cause of that anger. And then I've got to appropriately deal with that anger. I've got to figure out what I'm supposed to do with it in a redemptive manner. What am I supposed to change? And then the hardest part for me is I've got to let it go. I've got to let it go. 
Now, one thing, hear me say this. Um, it is not spiritual to deny that you're angry or to stuff it. That's dishonest. I kind of thought it was spiritual. You know, that spiritual people didn't get mad. And that's simply not true. Because it is not healthy to be mad and not admit that you're mad. Or to be mad and just stuff it down. That causes real problems. When you do that. It can cause you physical problems. High blood pressure, heart disease, you with me? It can also cause emotional problems. And then what usually happens is... Have you ever held a beach ball under the water? You know, you push it down, and at first, it's just real easy. But after you hold it down for a long time, what happens? Your arms get what? You get tired. And it gets harder and harder to hold that down. And eventually, it's going to pop up. And then you grab it and you push it back down, and you're already tired by that time. And then it pops up sooner. That's what anger and emotions do when you try to stuff them down. You can stuff them for a while, but they're eventually going to pop up. And and they pop up in the weirdest places at the weirdest times. Now, let me give you an example. Um, When my husband and I were dating in college, we did this thing. We did it so much we finally named it Tally. I don't recommend it. Here's what would happen. Don would do something on a Monday that, like, ticked me off. But being the spiritual giant that I am, I would let that go. And then Tuesday would be fine. And then Wednesday, he'd do something else to hack me off. And I would think to myself, I'm a bigger woman than that. And I wouldn't say anything. And then Thursday's fine. And then Friday, he's an idiot. You with me? And then Saturday's good. And then, but I am, I am, I am rising above it. I am patting myself on the back and saying, Jesus is so proud. Okay? But I'm making like a mental note and I'm flagging it. You with me? So like cheesier the next week, he does, I don't know, one minute thing, and I just, I just nail him. Do you understand? Like I'm going, and Friday you were an idiot because you did blah, and Tuesday, what kind of person? I mean, I'm just taking him out and just shooting him. And he's standing there like, So we made up a rule in college that we still have. It's probably why we're still married. It's two days, use it or lose it. You have 48 hours. <laughs> so, to be honest, I use it. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to lose it, you know. Um, so, that's what we do. I have 48 hours. And if I decide that I really am going to let it go, then it's gone. I really hate that rule. Um, but that's what we do. And the reason is, at least when we're dealing with something, we're dealing with one thing at the time. Not an accumulation of like a month's worth. So we're dealing with the issue at the time. But see, that's what was happening. I was doing that beach ball thing. I was pushing it down and pushing it down. But then they would just do one thing and be like, the whole thing would come erupting out. You can't do that. You know, how do I go from zero to 900 and get so mad so fast? Well, somebody told me one time... And I'm a visual learner, so this mental picture worked for me. That it's like having a glass of water that's got sediment in the bottom. You know, everything's fine till that glass gets bumped. 
And when that glass gets bumped, then that sediment just swirls all up in there. People don't make me mad. So that's a phrase that's not true. He made me mad. No, he didn't. Now, he might have brought the occasion to pass. But there must have been some sediment in the bottom of my glass for me to get that mad that fast. And I get to choose whether I'm going to stay mad and I'm going to get to choose what I'm going to do with what I'm, when, I, when I'm mad. You don't make me do. I choose to do. So, you know, I've, I've got to be careful and wonder what that sediment was. Sometimes that sediment for me is entitlement. You know, I have the right to get in Walmart and out in under three hours. You understand what I'm saying? Like, do not get behind me in Walmart because I am I'm the death of the line. Do you understand? I mean, it's just awful. I would not be this mad. I do not understand why you build 29 checkouts and then you have three open. That makes no sense to me at all. You understand? If you, if you only had three, I wouldn't be mad. But there's an entitlement sometimes, and that's my sediment that swirls around in my glass. I deserve. I deserve. But there are also some other sediments that swirl around in the glass for a lot of us. Because in my life, what I found out is that anger usually signals a deeper problem or a deeper emotion for a lot of us. And so, I've got to get to the root of why I'm angry. Let me give you an example. I have a friend, and she told me this the other day, that she told her husband, I thought she was very insightful and very brave. A really cute girl walked by, and he went like this. And she said, later they were going out, and she said, how do I look? And he said, fine. And she got really mad. And she told him, she said, let me let you inside my head. She said, when that girl walked by and you turned your head and looked at her. See, my husband's been married a long time. He knows just to use the eyes. You see what I'm saying? You got good peripheral vision. Okay, so, all right. So when you turned your head and looked at her, she said, in my mind, I heard you say, though you didn't say it, she's hot. And she said, and when I asked you later how I looked, and you said, fine, what I heard in my head was, I guess you'll do. You see, that anger that she felt was just an alarm. What she really wanted was she wanted to be wanted. She just wanted to be wanted. That was the root of the anger. I've got to dig it out in order to deal with it. And I've got to be honest when I find it. A friend of mine sent this to me the other week. And uh, it really spoke to me. And it's a blog that was written about 25 years ago. And it's a blog by a woman named um, Emily Kingsley. And she's writing it to try to explain what it's like to be the parent of a special needs child. But I think it speaks for much more than that. Here's what it says. I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability. 
to try to help people who've not shared that unique experience, to understand it, imagine how it would feel. Well, this is what it's like. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make wonderful plans. <gasps> the Colosseum, Michelangelo's David, the gondolas in Venice. You even learn some handy Italian phrases. Ciao. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands and the stewardess comes on and she says, Welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's a change in the flight plan. You've landed in Holland, and in Holland you must stay. The important thing is they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you go out and you buy new guidebooks and you learn a whole new language and you meet a group of people that you would never have met. It's a different place. It's slower paced than Italy. It's less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you have time to catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice Holland's got windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone that you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time that they're having there. And for the rest of your life, you'll say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's where I'd planned to go. I was supposed to be in Italy. And that pain will never, ever go away. Because the loss of a dream is a very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special there are lovely things about Holland. The loss of a dream can be devastating. And it has to be grieved. Grief has stages. And one of the stages of grief is anger. It's real. Some people in this room are grieving lots of things. You need to grieve them. Not just the death of people, but the death of dreams. Some of you grieve a marriage that never came. You wanted to get married. You deserved to get married. You didn't get married. Some of you grieve a marriage that you put everything into. And the other one didn't. And that one left. Some of you were the ones that left. Some of you grieve your children. The child you didn't have. 
or the child that you had and you didn't get to keep. Some of you grieve your children in such pain. They've made such bad choices. You've lost your dreams that you had for that child. Some of us grieve parents that didn't love us very well. They may have done the best that they could, but that's not the parent that you wanted. That's not the way you wanted to be loved. Some of us grieve ourselves. We chose poorly. And we lost things and we can't get them back. I wanted to be a better person than that. And I can be now. But you know, somebody said one time that regret or illuminations that come late. So we got some grieving to do. And that's okay. But you know, Joseph Campbell has a saying that says, we've got to be willing to let go of the life that we had planned in order to get the life that's waiting for us. And we do. There's a beautiful life waiting for us. It just may be a different one than the one we had planned. The last one for me is the hardest. And that's justified anger. Because, like I said, it's my spiritual gift. I'm really good at it. And if I can justify it, then I've got the right to hurt you back. And that's so hard. I mean, clearly in the video, the man was attacked by the machine first. He had every right to go back. And I find myself doing that. And some of you have, you have the right to be angry. And Jesus says you do. But he doesn't give us the right to strike back. And it's because it's the only sword that when you jab, you're the one that bleeds. You know, Buddha has a saying that says, harboring anger is like holding on to a live coal with the intention of throwing it at someone. But you're the one that gets burned. I have two friends. One, she's precious. Her husband, several years ago, she found out, had an affair. And it was a long-term affair, and it, it devastated her. And the way they measure pain, infidelity is only second to the death of a child. So I'm not in any way saying her pain's not real or horrific, because it is. But what almost destroys me is to this day... She tells me it's the last thing she thinks about before she goes to sleep. And it's the first thing that she thinks about when she wakes up. She's allowed it to steal her life. That's what breaks my heart. Don't let it steal your life. My other friend made this necklace that I'm wearing. She lives in Botswana. And I met her in July when I went over there. Let me tell you very quickly her story. A little bit of background. I have two students that went to Botswana. And they met Halasi. And she would come up to them periodically and say she needed a job. And they would 
tell her, there's not any jobs. There's not any jobs in a village in Botswana. And they would tell her, we know what you really need is Jesus. And they would pray with her and they would talk with her and she would listen and then she would go away. And that would get repeated. About six months before I got there, Halasi came up and said to Allison, you know, I, I really, I want a job. And Allison said she was about to respond the way she normally did. And she said she felt the Holy Spirit say, she needs a job. Well, there are not any jobs. So she said, well, let's go pray about it. So my two girls, Allison and Casey, went and prayed about it and came back. And they said, well, here's what we know. We do know how to make beads out of paper. And we're going to teach you to do that. And if you put the beads together and make necklaces, we'll try to sell them to the mission teams that come in, and we'll see. And it worked. We love us some jewelry. So she got money. And about two months later, she calls Allison and Casey, and she says, I need to come over, and I need to tell you a story I've never told another living soul. And so she does. And here's the story that she tells them. When she was a young teenager, she got really, really sick. So sick she couldn't walk. And it looked like she was going to die. So her family did what lots of families in the continent of Africa do. They took her to the local witch doctor. And the witch doctor told them that he didn't think she was going to live. But if they would leave her with him, he would work with her for a week. And if she was alive at the end of the week, they'd come back and get her. So they did. She was so sick. She only has images and short visions of what happened. She said she was in a room. It was really, really dark, laying on a mat. She couldn't get up. She was so sick. She couldn't walk. Lots of other people laying on mats, really sick. But for that week, that witch doctor sexually abused her over and over again. At the end of the week, she was still alive. And her parents came for her. But she was horrified and ashamed and she never said anything. So they took her back home. And by some miracle of God, she got better. And so the witch doctor comes and says, You owe me money because I healed your daughter. And still she doesn't say anything. And so he has a piece of paper. He wants them to sign over a piece of livestock. And they don't read or write, so they sign the letter. What they find out after they sign the letter is they've just signed over everything to the witch doctor. All their land, the little livestock that they have, their hut that they live in. And they turn around and they blame her. And they tell her she's a curse and it's all her fault. And they throw her out. And then that day she finds out she's pregnant. And she does such a brave thing for such a young girl. She goes to the witch doctor and she says, you have to give my family back their things. They'll die. And he says, I will in exchange for you. And so she trades herself for her family's things. And she lives with the witch doctor for seven years. Because she has no choice. She's going to have a child. She has a daughter. And her daughter will die. 
So for seven years, she hates him every day from the time she wakes up to the time she goes to bed. And she said, when I came and I kept asking you for a job, it's so I could earn money to take my daughter away. And she said, and your Jesus gave me that. And she said, tonight, the reason I'm telling you this story, tonight, I found that Jesus. And I forgave the witch doctor. And then she broke out in the biggest smile and she said, and I'm free. I'm free. Anger is natural. Revenge is natural. But revenge will kill you. Forgiveness will free you. Let it go. I have a friend that's my age that has a beautiful mother. And that beautiful mother wanted to buy a black skirt. So my friend took her shopping for a black skirt. And they went in the dress shop and the saleswoman showed her a black skirt. And her mother just shook her head no. And when they left the dress shop, her mother said something that's become my manta for my life. My friend Kathleen said, you didn't like that skirt? And her mother said, no. She said, well, you said you wanted a black skirt, and that was a black skirt. But this is a steel magnolia. She looks at her daughter and she says, Kathleen, that was an ordinary black skirt. And she said, I don't have time left for ordinary. I only have time left for extraordinary. And that's my new meant. I only have time left because I'm old for extraordinary. Extraordinary love. Extraordinary mercy. Extraordinary grace. And extraordinary forgiveness. And I get extraordinary joy. Let me close this. Father, I'm eternally grateful that you always use anger appropriately. And I pray that I learn to do that. That I use it as an agent for redemption and an agent for change. An agent to expand your kingdom. I pray that you heal us all of pains in the past. Help us to let it go and to enjoy the life that we have. In your precious name I pray, amen.